Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the peace of God will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Earlier this year, we shared that this is the 50th anniversary of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, the children's television show started in 1968, and it impacted a lot of lives of children and families at the time. But the life of Fred Rogers continues to impact and make change. He actually passed away in 2003, but because of his life story, because of the quality of the show and it being played in reruns, and because there's a brand new spinoff of the original show called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, named for a puppet from the original show, it's still quite a, a way that his life impacts the lives of others. This being the anniversary year, there's a great uh, movie out about him. It's a documentary that's out right now. And then next year, there will be a feature-length movie starring Tom Hanks in the role of Fred Rogers. Now, Fred Rogers didn't actually want to go into children's uh, programming. But when he went to college, he had planned to attend seminary and go into ministry But while he was there, he really started watching television, and he was dismayed. He did not like, and he didn't care for television whatsoever, but he really despised children's programming. He really felt that all the shows for children were demeaning, and they they contained too much violence. And so then and there, he decided he was called to TV, the medium he didn't like, to carry out his ministry. He would go on to be an ordained Presbyterian minister, but his pulpit was on the TV show. Now, in 1969, in May of that year, when his television show had just been on air for about a year, not many people were were familiar with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and one of them was Senator John Pastore. He hadn't ever seen the show, and he was the chairperson of the Senate Subcommittee on Communications. And he was uh, presiding over a hearing for funding for PBS, the Public Broadcasting Service. And Fred Rogers had the ability to testify before Congress. Now, 
Senator Pastore was a little gruff at first, but Fred Rogers was undeterred, and he explained to him what the funding meant for PBS, how it changed lives, how educational it was. He told him about his specific program, how it was tailored to validate the feelings of little children and help them to be able to deal and manage those feelings. Well, at the end of Fred Rogers' testimony, Senator Pastore said, you know, I can't recall another time that I had goosebumps in this hearing. And finally he said, it looks like you got your 20 million. I think what probably sealed the deal for that grant was when Fred Rogers read the words to one of the songs that he used on his television show. It was a song to help little children be able to deal with their anger. And the first words of the song came directly from a little boy who asked him a question about what he should do with the mad that he felt. And so Fred Rogers read these words to Congress. What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite, when the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems right? What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you can go? It's, a, it's great to be able to stop when you've planned the thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop any time, and what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine and know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. Now, Fred Rogers wrote that song specifically for young children to have self-control over their anger, but I think it's applicable to our society today. Sometimes it feels like we can't control things, but the good news is that we do have self-control, and there is something we can do with the mad that we feel, and there's something deep inside us that can help us become who we can. This morning, I want to start a new sermon series entitled, Think on These Things. It's taken from the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, specifically the eighth verse, where he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. In this sermon series, we're going to look at ways that we can have lives of joy, peace, and meaning, no matter the circumstances we face. In the world today, there are times that it feels very dark. Even with all the things that are wonderful around us, we can focus on what's negative. Now, there are some incredibly terrible things that happen in the world. With 
the invention of computers and then the internet, we can be connected with people all around the world like never before, and yet we're still divided. With that same social media, we can be connected with friends and family, and yet it also serves as a way for people to post the most terrible things, hurtful things to and about each other. We still have racism, sexism, discrimination. And yet with all these things that really do justify our anger, we still tend to get angry about the most trivial things. It's almost like we can't grade our emotions. When I was a physical therapist, I sometimes worked with people who had a disorder that made it difficult to grade their movements. If there was a delicate glass on a table right in front of them, instead of gently reaching forward just a little bit, a person with a disorder that made it difficult to grade their movements would reach out, completely extend their arm at full force. And sometimes I think we do that in society with our frustrations that with the little things, the trivial things of life, we can, instead of downgrading our anger, we extend it full force. Just recently, I was in Washington, D.C. with Dr. Long and Reverend Phil Greenwald and Reverend Josh Attaway, and we were visiting the Museum of the Bible. We were there because we were planning for the trips that Dr. Long and I will start leading starting next spring. But while we were there, all four of us noticed a traffic phenomenon in Washington, D.C., and that was that drivers there tend to waste no time at all in honking their horn when the light turns green. Now, I think there's a certain etiquette to honking your horn. I think it's the responsibility of the person who's second in the line of cars Uh, or right behind the car that's not moving forward, and you wait a gracious amount of time till it's obvious that that person absolutely is distracted and not moving forward, and then you gently give them a little reminder that it's time to move on. Now, they did not employ that rule at all in Washington, D.C. We would see people at the back of a line of cars who had no idea what was happening at the intersection, and as soon as the light turned green, they were honking their horns. There was no graciousness. There was no patience. And it was almost like all their frustration was fully extended, full force, every single time we were at a light. It doesn't have to be like that. We have the gift of self-control. And throughout the sermon series, we want to focus on ways that we can find joy and peace and not have to react to all the trivial things, but rather we can control our emotions so that God can use us in powerful ways to make a difference. The scripture this morning comes from the fourth chapter of Philippians. And what's interesting about Paul's letter to the church there is that it has this undercurrent of joy throughout the entire letter. Now, that's surprising because Paul was in prison when he wrote it. Now, any time you have to go to prison, in any time of history, it's not fun, but especially during the first century. 
There have been archaeologists in Rome, and we believe that's where he was in prison at this time. There have been archaeologists there who have uncovered Roman prisons that were in use in the first century. And these were often dungeons below ground. They had little to no light. The prisoners that were kept there were not given any bedding, let alone beds. And there would be no limit to the amount of prisoners shackled together in this space. Sometimes they would shackle the prisoners uh, by their necks to the wall so they could never relax. The rations that they would give to the prisoners were not enough to sustain life. Every prisoner had to rely on friends or family to bring them food or else they would die from starvation. And deaths in the prison because of disease or starvation or abuse, they were rampant. And often it was days or weeks before they would remove someone's body. It was the worst of conditions. And yet, the Apostle Paul is able to write, rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice in the Lord always. How is it that he could write that? And when he talks about rejoicing, he's not saying this to the church in Philippi as some kind of cutesy way to make them feel all warm and fuzzy. He wrote those words because they were the sentiments, they were the things that were sustaining him there in prison. He practiced uh, gentleness and gratitude, and he found the peace of God. His life was sustained in the worst of all places because he knew that the God of peace was with him. If Paul could find peace and meaning and joy in a place that offered such darkness and abuse, and all of this while he was facing his own death, we will find peace and joy in life no matter the circumstances we face. There are three things I want to discuss this morning that can help us as we enter into this sermon series and understand the importance of how integral it is to our lives to focus on the Word of God. First, we are told, think on these things. Paul writes to the church, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious. If there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Now, this list doesn't seem odd to us because we're reading it directly from the Bible, but it was probably confusing to the church members at Philippi. Now, the words here are very rare. Uh, They're not used throughout the New Testament. And in fact, for Paul, some of these words are only used at this spot. And probably it's because this list of attributes is a list of attributes that were admired in the first century pagan society. And so what Paul is doing here is telling the church that they don't have to withdraw from society. They don't have to set themselves apart from the world. In fact, they were to be in the world though not of the world. And they had common ground. They had common beliefs. Because what Paul was telling the church is that all of these positive attributes, things that are just, things that are lovely, 
things that are gracious, if there's anything of excellence, whether or not it's explicitly Christian, is of God. And so Paul is helping the the congregation to hear that. We need to know that we don't have to separate from the world. We are called to be in the world and demonstrate the love of God to all people. When it says, think on these things, we need to be intentional of that. We need to carve out time to study the Word of God. Now, this past week, I was really sad to hear the news of the death of Senator John McCain. Now, did I agree with everything he said or did? No, of course not. And yet, I don't have to agree with everything somebody says or does to prevent me. I, I can still admire them. I can still respect them. And I still am very grateful for his service to our country. For John McCain, he didn't have to agree complete with, completely with somebody to be able to have a relationship with them. One of his dearest friends in life was Senator Ted Kennedy. In fact, uh, after McCain passed away, the Kennedy and the McCain families thought it ironic that these two dear friends died of the same type of brain cancer on the same day, nine years apart. When Ted Kennedy passed away, McCain was asked to speak at his service, and he said this about his friend and rival. He took the long view. He never gave up. And though on most issues, I very much wished he would give up, he taught me to be a better senator. Victoria Kennedy is the widow of Ted Kennedy, and when John McCain passed away, she reflected on their friendship. She said, I think these two men who were so different could be dear friends because they listened to each other and they respected one another. They knew that both of them loved this country. Kennedy was a passionate, progressive Democrat, and McCain was a passionate conservative Republican, and they would disagree vehemently on issues. And yet they knew that each one wanted to make this country better, but they probably had different ways of going about it. There were times that their arguments and debates were so serious and heated on the floor, but they were known that as soon as they left, they would find each other, pat each other on the back, and laugh and say, no, that was a pretty good one. They appreciated the passion of each one. Now, it's not enough to just listen and respect. You have to be intentional. And because they cared so much for their friendship, they made time every morning to meet and listen to each other and try to find that nugget of common ground. Today in our world, we've almost adopted a tribalism over issues. If you and I disagree over one thing, it puts us in different camps. We are separate. We have animosity between each other. 
I heard a quote recently that was actually used to describe the pol political arena right now, but I think it applies to all the camps that we separate ourselves in. And it says that we don't have a problem with anger right now. We have a problem with contempt. If we disagree, we have contempt for each other. And it doesn't have to be like that. If we think on the ways of God, we'll see that even if we disagree, we can still be kind. Even if we disagree, we can still love each other. Even if we disagree, we don't have to tear each other apart. If we focus on the word of God, it draws us together. Now, I'm not saying we turn a blind eye to the very serious problems in this world. But we need to focus on the word of God so that we can better face the world around us. When I think about the arguments and the, the things that I see on social media and I start thinking of that own argument that I run in my mind and I start going down a path where I become more cynical and sarcastic and depressed, I'm not of much help because I'm only thinking about winning an argument. It's a big difference focusing and thinking on the things that are excellent and of God because that lightens us and it prepares us to address the very issues that the world has today. Make time for a personal devotion time. Make time for Bible studies and classes. We have Wednesday Night Alive coming up. We have so many Bible studies that are beginning. We have Home Point that we've just launched for families to be able to practice discipleship at home. And today, when you leave, we have these little scripture cards that on the inside is this passage of scripture from 4th Philippians. And what we're asking each and every person to do is take this and spend a few moments each day reading the scripture and then thinking on these things. Second, the peace of God will be with us. In this passage of scripture, Paul writes to the church and to us, and he says that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will be with you. When we make time for our minds to be transformed, for our lives to be transformed, we will recognize that peace from within, and it will change how we react, how we uh, live in the circumstances we find ourselves. John McCain grew up as a Christian going to church every Sunday. In fact, he attended a private Episcopal school where every single day he had time to study and think on the Bible. And every single morning he went to chapel. Now later he would say in an interview that his faith didn't become real until Vietnam. John McCain was a pilot in the Vietnam War and his plane was shot down over North Vietnam. When that happened and he ejected outside the plane, he sustained two broken arms and a broken leg. And the soldiers captured him and took him to the Hoelo prison, otherwise known as Hanoi Hilton. He would spend five and a half years there under the most 
atrocious conditions. When he first arrived, they refused to treat his injuries. They waited two weeks until they finally decided to set his broken bones without any anesthesia. And of course, that was excruciatingly painful, and by then it was too late. They, they couldn't put them back into place. He would spend all that time in solitary, but after two years, he was finally moved to a different building that housed other prisoners. And it was there that he became the unofficial chaplain of his group. It wasn't because he wanted to be. It was because the soldiers refused to allow the prisoners to have a Bible. And John McCain, because he had spent so much time years in the past studying the Word of God, reflecting on it, going to chapel and worship, he could recall large portions of Scripture And so he would remember a verse and recite it to his fellow prisoners, and then they would study it together. Several years ago, he gave an interview, and he said that God, faith in God, was essential for him to be able to survive. He would not have gotten through without God. He said that he would feel the peace of God many times throughout his captivity, And there would be special moments where he even found joy and and gratitude. One of those occasions happened, oddly enough, because of an interrogation. One of the interrogation tactics that they would use, they would tie ropes around the arms of the the prisoners and pull their arms behind them as far as they could go, wrap a rope around their head and pull their head down to their knees, And then they would leave them in that position for hours at a time. On one of the occasions that they did that to John McCain, the soldiers tied him up and then walked out of the room. And a few minutes after they left, another Vietnamese soldier came in and very quietly loosened the ropes that were binding him. Several hours later, when this soldier's shift had ended, he came back in the room and he retightened the ropes and he left. And John McCain was confused by that. He didn't understand it until the following Christmas. That Christmas, the soldiers allowed the prisoners to step outside their cells for just a few minutes. He wouldn't, they wouldn't allow them to congregate but each person was allowed just a few minutes at a time. And when it came time for John McCain to step outside, that soldier came and stood right in front of them. And with the toe of his shoe, he drew a cross in the dirt right in front of John McCain. And as soon as he saw that McCain had seen it, he scratched it out quickly. And McCain said that in that moment, I was no longer a prisoner and he was no longer a guard We were two Christians celebrating the birth of our Savior. How is it that someone who was going through such terrible conditions and torture and bleakness could find joy and peace? It's because he made time to think about the Word of God And the peace of God would guard his heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And third, we're told that the God of peace will be with us. Paul writes at the beginning that if you do these things, 
that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will be with you. And then he closes the section by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. So not only do we have the peace from God, we have, most importantly of all, the God of peace with us every moment, no matter what we're going through. When I was a little girl, I grew up in Ohio, and I watched a children's television show called The Uncle Al Show, and it was based out of Cincinnati. And it starred a man uh, by the name of Al Lewis, and Al wore a straw hat and played the accordion, which was popular in Ohio, and uh, played lots of children's songs, and all the children who were there in the, the studio audience would take part in the skits that they would do throughout the show. And starring alongside uh, Uncle Al was his real-life wife, Wanda, except her character's name on the show was Captain Wendy. And one of the things that Captain Wendy would do every single show was take out her magic looking glass and look directly into the camera, and she'd look through it and magically be able to see all the boys and girls who were watching the television show at home. And so she would call out their names. I see Jimmy and Johnny, and I see Lori and Lisa. Now, I waited every day for her to see me. But guess what is the only name that the character Captain Wendy will never say? I never heard my name, of course, and I was really disappointed. But other than that, I still like the show. Other than my hero letting me down. Now, recently, Reverend Josh Attaway was telling me about a book called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers. And it's a great book written by Amy Hollingsworth, who is from Cincinnati. And he was telling me about this book because he knew my Captain Wendy story. And the very first story in the book, the book about Mr. Rogers, is about her experience with Uncle Al. And so Amy Hollinsworth is ta- talked about growing up there in Cincinnati watching Uncle Al, and she and one of her sisters actually got to participate in the show. They were there on set with Uncle Al and Captain Wendy. And she said that that was such a formative time in her life. As she was preparing to write the story on Mr. Rogers, one of her friends, now an adult, came to her and said, did you hear that Uncle Al was chasing kids off of his porch at Halloween? And she was devastated by that. Here was a childhood hero who had been really brought down. And what was she going to find when she met Fred Rogers? Now, as a side note, she does go on to say later in the book that it's a rumor about Uncle Al. She doesn't know that it happened. I choose to think that it didn't. But it left an impression on her that she was going to find out something about Fred Rogers that wasn't pleasing. So she was really nervous when she flew to meet him. But what she found was he was absolutely genuine. And she found truth in the quote that so many people had said about him when they described him. They said, he's more Mr. Rogers than Mr. Rogers. Her family and his family would become dear friends all up until his death and even beyond. But I want to read to you what she wrote about Fred Rogers and how he practiced the presence of God. 
She said, Fred Rogers was one of those who was very far advanced in the Lord's service and who often employed the prayer of silence. It wasn't just the absence of noise he advocated, but silence that reflects on the goodness of God, the goodness of what and whom he made. Silence to think about those who have helped us. He knew that silence leads to reflection, reflection leads to appreciation, and that appreciation looks about for someone to thank. And Fred told her, I trust that they will thank God, for it is God who inspires and informs all that is nourishing and good. Fred Rogers was intentional to practice silence so that he could think of noble and excellent things. And he told Amy, just think. Just be quiet and think. It'll make all the difference in the world. That is great advice. Just be quiet and think. Find silence to reflect on the things of God. Seek out God every day. And when you do, when you think on these things, you will find that the God of peace is always with you. And that'll make all the difference in the world. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen. Amen. 